Hi, welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people in their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, keep our audience entertained and occasionally perhaps even inspire, motivate, or educate while our guests build their audio legacy via this unique opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. Very good. Tonight, we have a very special guest to your cron. Eliza Ann McDaniel is an author and a victim of sexual abuse as a child. And tonight, Eliza is sharing her story in hopes of helping others to process, release, and begin feeling the joy that comes from love and healing. I can tell our listeners while getting to know Eliza before our podcast that Eliza is a brave, confident, selfless woman. She's willing to open up and speak as well as write about terrible and destructive things that have happened to her in order to help others. And to me, the world needs more people like Eliza that have the courage to take action, really to help solve a huge problem that we face as a society today, and that is sexual abuse. Eliza, welcome to your cron. Hi, Scott. First Hello. of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. And if, if this podcast helps only one person, then it's well worth it to me. Good. Well, thank you for being here. And uh, so... I guess we will jump right in, and uh, the first question that, that I like to ask is, where is a good place to begin your story? Well, um, actually, probably from the beginning, um, I have called it the Awakening Series. So, uh, the beginning, the first book is uh, from birth until about... Um, 42, and it starts off with everything that my, actually me and my twin sister had gone through since uh, about five years old, as far back as I can remember. So, um, molested since five, and then raped at age 11 to 17, on and off, and how my path took me on loving, healing, and awakening, finding self-worth, and learning to love myself and a life of dignity. I read a couple of quotes from you that were of interest to me, and I want to just kind of share those with you and, and uh, get your thoughts. Um, the first one in which you were writing about how you basically want to be remembered, uh, and you say, quote, learning to love myself learning to forgive others and to forgive and love myself and loving the child within. I know everything that someone goes through is especially for that person and we are not to judge their path, unquote. Um, 
as a victim of childhood sexual abuse, what do you mean in, in writing forgive and love myself? And, and the reason I ask is, you know, mainly the forgive part, clearly you and your sister were the victims, Eliza. So what, can you talk about that? It actually that? goes, it actually does go beyond just my sister and I. Um, but it did, it did take years. Um, and actually my journey to learn to forgive, well, let me go back. It, it was just actually all kinds of things. I would have a spiritual dreams, um, and even after my dad passed, uh, all kinds of spiritual dreams, um, and then forgiving him, but the forgiveness wasn't really for him, you know, it was me, because um, he doesn't know. So that in itself helped me, and over time, um, just being around some friends, they were telling me to love the child within, which I never understood at the time, but friends, uh, they showed me how to do that. So I was able to love that child within, that one that was abused and, and raped and just loving her and just saying to her, this was not your fault at all. And over time, between all of that and also the journey that I was on was actually what brought about my healing. So it was friends that that brought up the notion of loving the child within. And, yeah. And took you a, a while to understand that. And, and just... Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to be clear... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's the second book, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that deals with the healing in the second book because after... After the first book, then I actually went into a, a different kind of abuse, and which I call spiritual abuse. And <laughs> between the spiritual abuse and the child abuse, it's really together went hand in hand with my healing. And it was through the second book, which is part of the Awakening series, is uh, when I was able to put pieces together of my life and the the man was used as as my dad so to speak to for to yell and scream like I never did before which brought about the healing it was a long process and it's all in that second book I don't want to get too much of it away um but it was the whole path that I started seeing from about age 41 on that impacted my life. And I really didn't put it all together until actually recently, I would say six years ago, seven years ago, and still learning different things day by day that are that I remember and snapping in yet another puzzle piece. It's a continuous thing. But out of six kids, I'm the only one that's healed. 
and now I'm able to go back and help them. So to be clear, your dad was the the one that was doing this to you, and and your sister, and there were six siblings. Well, I in the in the book I didn't go the first the first three siblings were my half siblings, so I didn't start off with them because it, it's just too much of a story. So I started off with my birth, and well, my mine and my sisters. Um, my dad was a pedophile. And it wasn't, it, the abuse didn't just go with my sister and I, it went with our friends as well. And I'm not directly asking your age, uh, but I'm just curious what time frame this is. Is this in the 60s or 70s? Or what, what time frame uh, during your childhood was this happening? Well, the abuse started about, I'm 57 right now. Okay. I was born in 1960. Okay. Um, it, I can remember back as far as five. Okay. So, um, so this is the, the mid-60s then. And yeah. at that time, um, certainly sexual abuse existed, but I would imagine that the the outlets for for crying out for help um, seems like they would not been been as available as they are today is that a is that a fair statement it is um it is coming out more and more today and i'm so glad that uh people are coming out with their stories um it was hidden well not to say that it's not hidden today it is still hidden today, but it is coming out more and more. Mm -hmm. it, it was, but it's due to, you know, death threats. You know, you, you say anything, I'll kill you. You know, mm -hmm. the, the abuser has a, you know, mind control, the victim. And they, they're, they're adults and you're children, so they know what to say to, to scare you and to keep you quiet. Were you threatened in that matter? Yes. If you say anything, I'll kill you. So you had you had half sisters, and this is your biological father that we're talking about, correct? Yes. Hmm. They were they were older. They were really kind of out of the picture, and that's mainly why I started off with my story. Um because I didn't grow up with them. So I just wanted to share my story, my birth, and up until today of what happened to me and my twin and in the book, uh, a few of our friends as well. How much communication was going on between you and your siblings and your friends while this was going on? Um, actually, it was like, it was really strange because it's like we all knew that it was happening, but we really didn't communicate and open up about it at all. I knew it was happening to my twin. She knew it was happening to me. Uh, my dad had 
mentally separated my twin and I from my older brother and pitted us against one, one another. So we couldn't really communicate. So my brother was distanced from us and we were distanced from him and threatened in a way that we just, we just didn't share anything with each other, but we knew, we knew what was going on. Was your brother abused that you know of? Um, mentally and physically and emotionally, yeah. How exactly did he separate you all from from communicating? Was it by well, th threats or? It started off as children, just uh, you know, he the our dad would like you know when you're little. <laughs> pick up for us and, and give us things and then tell him to get out of here and treat him really bad. Mm -hmm. And so that put anger in him. And, and also uh, uh, an uncle that used to babysit the three of us when we were small, he used to hold my brother down. And my sister and I were like a year old. And he would tell him, I mean, tell us to on his stomach, pull his hair, spit in his face, and punch him. And we were little. We, I have no memory of that at a year old. But he was five years old, and since then, he started off with a hatred towards us, an anger, a deep-seated anger. And it just steadily got worse over the years. Your uncle, is that your dad's brother? No, that was my mom's sister's husband. Okay. All kinds of different abuse in the family. And what about the friends being uh, abused? Were, um, did their parents ever confront your dad or was there anything that uh, you saw or remember that uh, somebody may have told their parent uh, about what no, was going on? everything was totally hidden. If you were, anybody was to meet my dad, they loved him automatically. You would never, ever think that he was an abuser, a pedophile. He was just as nice as nice could be. He, you know, he had this whole other side. He was very giving. He was any... <laughs> If somebody was broke down on the road, he, he would be the first one to pull over and help. He used to take toys to the children's hospital a couple of times a year. It was like he had this whole other side to him, and he just couldn't help himself with his pedophilia. And it was always behind closed doors, and that was uh, the title of my first book. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we, we grew up, I always say we, uh, we grew up with him coming into our room, like I said, from five till, for me, 16, 17, but my twin endured it a little longer to probably about 20, because I, I moved out as soon as I could when I turned 18, month and month. Why didn't she move out with you? I don't know. I told her she could. Um, but she stayed in 
would continue to work with him and she continued to get the abuse. I've read uh, a second quote that was taken out of the uh, same context what you were talking about um, how you wanted to be remembered and says, quote, I want everyone to know that there is joy, peace, love, and healing for you and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Everything is in perfect timing. I don't know. I, I love that quote, especially the last part. Um, it's just one of those quotes that makes, makes me think. Um, but can you elaborate on what it means to you, Eliza? Everything is in perfect timing. And you put the word perfect in all caps. So I'm very curious what that means to you. Uh, well, and it, it is. It's just like, I, for me, I was on this journey, and there was nothing going to take me off of it. And for me, it was just stepping stones from one to another, learning, learning, learning. And it took me a long time that I was learning things. Um, and, and that's my favorite quote. I mean, I'm always saying everything's in perfect timing. It just doesn't come. Things don't come to you until the perfect timing. There's always an open window of something um, to go through. Um, and it, it's for me, it's like I can't change the past, but I can change the way I react to it. And like I said, I'm, I am the only one who has come this far and and healed and my siblings are still still have the the mindset the anger and the bitterness and the hatred um it was my journey and i guess i i learned from that journey with friends along the way new friends that i met and awakening people who helped me along my path that had been through the same thing and would share tidbits of information with me that would just touch my heart. And, but I'm a big softy too. I'm very sentimental. I'm very empathic. I feel others feeling, um, more so than my siblings. And I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Have your siblings ever approached you with a desire to be healed in the way that, that you've, you've healed yourself? Have they said, you know, I, I, I want to be happy like you, Eliza. I want what you have. I just, I don't know how to get there. Or is there, is, is that just not in the cards for them? Unfortunately, uh, no, they don't because the, the separation between my brother and my twin has actually kept us separated. Um, I have not spoke to my brother since 1996. I started speaking to him a couple of years ago, but the, the, the negative, the negativity that he has about him and it just got to me and I just, 
he he doesn't want to listen and i just couldn't handle it and uh we got into another argument so that kind of ended things right there so that little time frame lasted for about oh a total talking time probably two weeks so like i said i hadn't been around them since 96 and also with my twin sister uh same thing on and off uh mostly off since 1996 um they're both very uh what's the word (laughs) they just live their life in pain and misery and anger and tempers all their life and it's sad it's sad to see them go through this when healing is really just steps and steps away i would love for them to come to me i've tried a few times and my brother was like oh my gosh i never thought of it that way (laughs) we'd talk a little bit and i'd share some things with them and but that didn't last long so it for a moment, it seemed like the door opened and then it was slammed shut again. What? Yeah. What, what do you think yeah. the root cause is of the resentment with with you and your sibling? Do you, do you think there may be some, I don't know, maybe some jealousy that they see you've um, come a long way and you, you've healed yourself through well, this? Or what, what do you think the root cause is to that resentment? To be honest with you, they really don't know how far I've come because we haven't been in touch with each other. I did mail my first book to my brother. (laughs) He got it probably just a couple of days ago. Hmm. So, so far, so far, nothing yet. Um, But my heart still is anyone, and especially my siblings, who read my story, which they're part of, you know, fine tuning in whatever way touches their heart, whatever their heart needs. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's for anybody that reads it. That's been my heart all along. And I was honest and blunt in my book because there's so many victims that I have abused that hold in lots of humiliation and embarrassment and pain so I was blunt so somebody else could read that and go oh my god I felt that too and maybe find some some healing some way somehow how did let's talk a minute about just day-to-day life how did the abuse affect you on a on a day-to-day basis sleeping eating, school, socially, maybe take us through each phase of your life, childhood, teenage years, and then adulthood. Now, how was it day-to-day for you, Eliza? Well, um, probably from 9 to 18, I didn't sleep well because I'm always wondering when my dad was going to take time. It was always at night wee hours of the morning. So I always slept very lightly. Um, it wasn't until I got my first apartment at 18 that I had 
a good night's sleep because <laughs> I felt safe. Um, as far as school, I did, I did not do good in school at all. I didn't want to be in school. I actually hated school. And I quit in the 10th grade. My sister quit in the 9th grade. I started work as soon as I could so I could get away from working with my dad. She continued to work with him longer. And as far as friends and stuff, I always made real good friends. Um, that was never a problem. And so did my sister. We were actually kind of popular because we were twins. Hmm. Um, did you did you ever share as a teenager? Did you ever confide in in any of your close friends what was happening? Well, my best friend, uh, she was actually a victim of my dad too. We're still friends today. Uh, no, and we were actually talking about that the other night, and she told me a couple of things that that I didn't know, and she's she's reading my book as well, and she said it is ironic how we just never talked about it. We we knew what was happening, but we just never discussed in detail or, you know, talked alone time together at all. But we are now. Hmm. And you said that you and your sister worked with your dad. Was he, did he own his own business or... What did he work for the company? Um, but it took him out of town, and so he would. That was especially after we both quit school, but she didn't. He didn't care at all. We would go. We would sometimes go together or separately to work with him, and it would be out of town for two to three days, which brought us to a hotel, and he would do the same thing, molest us at nighttime at the motel. And if we brought a friend, he would do the same thing to the friend. And the friends would go knowing that this was going to happen? They did, but he, I mean, he would, he was the cool dad. He supplied alcohol and back then marijuana. So it was like a fun party time he made it out to be and he would actually give us money the next day and everybody would go out shopping it was just so back in the early 70s it, it was like my friend and I said what what teenager didn't like a hundred dollar bill to go shopping with and that's what he would do it was just it was more of a mind, uh, and also, you know, he he made it clear you don't say anything. Yeah. He made it very clear. Hmm. So it was like it was a mind control, and so he made it out to be fun. He did mm. to kind of keep keep everything going. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's not we had fun doing anything. Um, it was disgusting. It was humiliating. Mm. But she made it out to be to be fun. Mm. Mm. 
so after after your teenage years and and you you dropped out of school and now you're starting a career you're on your own what was your uh, adult life like um dating and those type of things how, how did how did your past affect that time of your life um the adult life starting dating uh anytime being with a boyfriend during intimate times it would always bring back a trigger i would always think of my dad and i just buried everything i would just silently tear up and and just continue on we all just bury the pain, bury the memories, but they continued on and on and on. And I'd always cry out, you know, God, am I going to, you know, feel this all my life? You know, I can't even be with a boyfriend and then even husband mm -hmm. without, during intimacy, having flashbacks. Hmm. So, yeah, it was tough then, but I, I learned how to bury it, and I learned how to just sweep it under the carpet. But the whole time, even with my sister, I mean, it, was, it, it, it eats you up. You know? Yeah. Like it says, it comes out. All that burying pain like that comes out in different ways with different people. For me, you know, I'd get mad and I'd go in the kitchen and slam doors and slam cabinet doors, yell or scream, you know? My sister would throw things and slam and, you know, just different reactions for different people um, and it wasn't until I was after my dad died and I was about 29 years old and I, I just I had to my son was just a little over a year old and I just broke and I finally opened up to my husband then and told him everything because I just, I just couldn't go on feeling the way I did. I had to share it with him. And he, bless his heart, he was just as sweet and supportive as can be. And we talked for quite a while. At that time, my mom was next door. And after we were finished talking, he said, you need to go over and tell your mom. And I just, I lost it all over again. I'm like, no, no. And I could feel the humiliation and the pain coming back up. And he said, do you want me to tell her? And I just said, yeah. So he went over there and he was gone for a couple hours. And he told her. And I was on pins and needles. I mean, I could just feel everything coming back up. And she came to her and she just, cry and she held me and said, why didn't you ever tell me? <laughs> and I said, I just couldn't. I was too embarrassed. I was too ashamed. <clears throat> and then right at that time, without me even knowing, my life started taking a different direction, so to speak. And um, many years later, going through more of a horrific time, and when I put everything together, it was actually a time of healing. And but I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> it was funny how that worked out. And that's all in the second book. Hmm. So there, there's another time in your life. But um, I, I guess 
we're not going to talk about that so much right now because that's, as you said, it's in the second book. Yes. Okay. Well, then we'll have to have a second podcast if it's okay with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, there'll be a third book, but that'll go into probably 219. Um, but the second book should be out hopefully around late summer. Hmm. Do you think that moment that you had with your mom, was that a major turning point? It sounds like it was a major turning point in your healing. Um, and you, you mentioned several times the, the spirituality, just talking with people, but in particular with your mom, was that a major turning point for you? Um, it's funny. It, it, it really wasn't because in my mind all my life I used to think she knew and it wasn't and, and with me sharing that yeah I felt a little better but in the back of my mind I kept thinking she knew she knew she had to know she just had to know why didn't she ever help me why so that was still stuck in the back of my mind and sadly enough I didn't realize until after she died that she never knew how do you know? And, how do you know she never knew? Well, just uh, it was. It was just a knowing. It was just the child's mind of, you know, where's my mommy? Why is not my mommy helping me? It was the child thinking, not the adult thinking. And she didn't know. Uh, my dad had. giving her sedatives before she went to sleep. We found that out later on. Hmm. Um, so she was knocked out. He would put stuff in her drink before she would go to bed, something to make her sleep. I don't know what it was. So she slept very, very soundly. Hmm. And he would do this in the middle of the night. So these kind of things I didn't find out till later. And I felt bad because <laughs> I wish I would have realized that before she died. So I could have really, really spent, for me, more loving time with her. Hmm. But she knows now. Yeah. Was there something specific that happened, an event? Or something that that motivated you to help others by sharing your story to this extent publicly, the the book and being on the podcast, and uh, was there something that, that that made you just kind of say, "Man, I I'm I'm ready to tell my story, and I'm I'm ready to uh, lay it all out there and not hide anything or keep it in." <laughs> Um, actually, it was just a few years ago, I had a couple of friends, uh, well, well, actually, one of them's a friend, one of them's just somebody that a friend of mine suggested, and both of them are mediums out of the country, they're, I mean, they're both of them are from a different part of the country, and they had written me at different times. 
and was saying that they seen writing all around me. And even with those two saying that and a friend of mine telling me that it's probably time to start writing a book, the light bulb still didn't go off. And then I remembered my favorite, one of my favorite uh, ministers that used to come to our home meetings, he prophesied over me back in about 97, 98, and he asked me, he said, do you write songs? And I said, no. I I used to write poetry, but I don't do that anymore. He goes, well, this time I see you writing, but it's not going to be you. The Spirit of God is going to work through you and do the writing. And I said, okay. (laughs) And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe one day I'll be writing songs. And so I started putting the pieces together, and then uh, the friend of mine said, I think you, I feel like you need to start writing your book, because I had discussed it for a few years ago. And it, it's just like everything started clicking together, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, right now is the time to do it. I could not have written this even five years ago, five or six years ago, because the healing just kept coming and coming, and I kept seeing things, and awakening more and more and more and it was the time and it was just my heart my heart has always been to help others even back in my teenage years I would try to help people uh, that were abused and of course I look back on it now and I was just sharing my heart I didn't know what I do so my heart has always been to help people always ever since I can remember hmm and it just it was the perfect time. Everything fell into place. I just I just said, Okay, God, if you want me to write a book, I said, You're gonna have to help me. You have to get me an editor, a publisher, I know nothing about it. <laughs> and even the editor and the publisher just fell in line at the perfect timing. It was everything was lined up and it was perfect. And now I have my first book published and out there and second book on the way what as far as the book book writing process what surprised you that you didn't expect and what kind of fell into your expectations I guess I'm so sorry I didn't hear the question because you were kind of breaking up no problem as far as the book writing process what uh, about the process surprised you maybe you didn't expect I mean did it for example did it take longer maybe to to write it than you thought and and what what about it uh, met your expectations the first book was the toughest because there was I found out that there was still a couple of things in there when I wrote to that, that I really just fell to pieces as I was writing. And there was a couple of times I cried so hard. I literally had to stop myself from crying, (laughs) Mm. but so it was still a healing experience, um, leftover healing, I say. Um, but just, I had to go back in time of everything. Um, the second book, uh, a lot easier a lot easier. Hmm. 
for oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say it was for me that first one was just some some leftover uh, feeling that that i really needed and those tears were just releasing the leftovers as i say it sounds like it was therapeutic it was very much so did you go through professional therapy no, I did not. Hmm. Not at all. So, for someone that intimately knows a victim of sexual abuse, what advice do you have for them that they can use to help that victim? Well, I, I do think people need to go to a good therapist. Um, I know some people who have been to uh, therapy that actually the therapists themselves weren't any better, and they would put uh, their issues on, on the person. So if you do go to a therapist, just make sure they're, they're actually helping you and not talking about their problems. I personally suggest um, holistic therapy um, and also for me it was just life learning lessons that that second part of my journey um, is what really brought about the healing to me that was my path and I know everybody is on a different path so it's whatever works for them it worked for me hmm that was my therapy right there. That was my my um, awakening and healing, just my journey itself. And for a victim that may not have access to therapy or have the knowledge or strength or, uh, you know, whatever to write or speak about their experience like, like you have, Elisa, what advice can you share to help those victims start a better life today or at least in the in the near future or or is this this is there is there no shortcuts is it a is it a long process no matter what is there is there anything that in, in the short term that that you could share that maybe would bring some sort of uh, relief to a person that's going through this well, and, and it is different for, for everyone. Uh, what, what I can say is if somebody is suffering from this, to, they've got to speak up. They've got to at least go to somebody that they really trust. Uh, even if they could, and if they don't feel anybody that they can trust, maybe go somewhere and call a hotline and just talk to somebody because talking about it to me in the beginning was very healing. Um, it, it just, for me, it was like talking, talking, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And then it, after a while, it just became, oh, okay, here's the story again. <laughs> for me, uh, that in itself was, had a lot of healing to it. So just the repeated process of telling the story is very healing. Was, yeah. yeah. I have a friend today that 
she knew nothing about my past and I've known her for almost three years now um, and she just finished my first book and she had a very hard time with it and she said there there would be no way I would have ever thought that you went through what you did by the way you carry yourself today. And I said, thank you, that's healing. <laughs> that's total healing to there. Yeah, and, and a nice compliment and, you know, and well earned yeah. because that's the impression I, I get too. You, you do come across a very confident, strong person and uh, uh, I agree with your friend. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned calling a hotline or, or talking to someone. Um, I, I think about going back to what you said earlier in the discussion that, uh, you know, for somebody that is a victim of sexual abuse that's being threatened or manipulated, um, that that might not be such an easy thing to do uh, to tell right. somebody else. So what, what advice do you have for them? I mean, they could still call the hotline. I'm sure they're confidential and, you know, being able to tell their story is therapeutic, but as far as getting like real help um, to, to try to get out of the situation they're in. Once again, everybody's situation is, is different uh, mm -hmm. where one person could possibly sneak off and call a hotline or, or somebody, and then there might be somebody who literally can't do that because the reins are so tight. Mm. Um, there's just all kinds of different stories out there and my heart goes out to them uh, there's there's have just said the heck with it and just did it you know and, and they come through it and I think there's some in this world that have done it and haven't so it just depends on the situation my part is to help anybody that I can uh, I, I told myself a long time ago, if I ever see anybody abusing a child in a store or anywhere I'm out in public, oh, I'm going to step up immediately. Not in violence or anything like that, but just calmly and assess the situation and help somehow, some way. Yeah, good for you. Not just you. turn away and pretend like nothing's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Too many people just, they do, they look the other way. Yeah. Because you know, today nobody wants to get involved because everything, you know, somebody will sue somebody or, or pull a gun on somebody or whatever, nobody wants to get involved. But I think I'm at that point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. I would know that I'm protected and I would step in depending on the situation of what to say and how to ask. Yeah. So on a, on a scale of one to 10 and one being clueless, 10 being fully in tune, how aware do you feel the public currently is about how widespread a problem sexual abuse is in this country? I would think it's gone up. I would, if I had to just take a wild guess, I would say probably a an eight. Hmm. 
I would hope, were higher. <laughs> and and there, a lot of them could be aware of it, just don't say anything. Mm. Uh, there's many people that are just totally blinded to it. Yeah. Well, certainly, there's certainly what's happened in, in the media, starting in Hollywood yeah. recently, is is made that number go up. And uh, <laughs> I, I guess the follow up question then is, if if you could wave a magic wand to to do something to solve this problem, um, you have any ideas about how to approach a problem of this magnitude that? is uh, secretive in nature uh, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, you know, like in your, in your story growing up, a lot of people didn't know, or the ones that were close to you that didn't know, you just didn't talk about it. How do you, right. how, how do you approach a problem like that of, of this magnitude? Well, I, I always say, I always think, Okay, so what happened to my dad when he was younger? Or if I know somebody who is an abuser, what happened to them when they were younger? Because it usually is their reaction out of what happened to them or reacting out of the pain that they suffered. And the chain has to be broken. And, and people that do get caught, they throw them in jail. I think they need to be, I think there should be a, a, a different facility for uh, child molesters, rapists, because jail doesn't do anything but build in the anger more, you know, deeper and deeper within them. Um, they, they need help because they were a child at one time. God only knows what happened to them, and they, I'm, the same thing. And I think if anybody that's been abused, once they get of age to seek help, um, so they don't take it out on the following generation, their husband's wives or their children or friends or whatever. It's just a constant uh, help for the abuser himself as well. If my dad had gotten help years ago, I know that was back in in the what forties. <laughs> but if he would have got help, you know, what I wonder if that would have changed his life. How did you know that he was abused? Did he tell you he was? No, he didn't. Um, just oh, talking to some older relative and actually his sister's uh, his sister at one time years ago and just made comments and passing about it and just putting two and two together hmm. I don't know specific details but yes there was uh, abuse there hmm. let's let's talk about your book a minute behind closed doors um uh, for our listeners, the information will be available at yourcron.com. Um, so the, the book uh, was published, obviously, and, and how long has it been out? 
It was actually published on March, this past March 26th, so it hasn't been out very long. Um, and I do have a website, it's annemcdaniel.com, where you can order books if you want. Uh, uh, um, it's also on Amazon. And also for those who use Nook, it's at Barnes & Noble. Um, and yeah, so uh, just to repeat that information, the title is Behind Closed Doors, now available on Eliza's website, ElizaAnnMcDaniel.com, also yeah. on Amazon for book and ebook, and on Barnes and Noble for Nook. And you have a second book coming out late this summer titled journey to the heart and then yes. a third book coming in 2019 and again yes. again all this will be on our website yourcron.com eliza have you thought about plans after the books are completed have you thought that far ahead <laughs> no and actually behind closed doors is it's it is it's book one of the Awakening series. So they're, they're just called the Awakening series, so it's from start to finish, basically. And no, I really haven't thought that far ahead um, at all, actually. How do you like the writing process? Is this something that uh, you, you think even after... Uh, the, these books obviously have a special purpose and meaning, but uh, just writing in general, do you, do you like it? Do you think you'll write... Uh, other books and or continue to write uh, for some reason i think i will yes <laughs> great yeah. great so um i like to close with this question um, if generations from now your grandkids or great-grandchildren are listening uh, people uh, within your family what do you want them to take from this story? What, what do you want them to remember about you or about this story? Um, just how I came through horrible abuse and realized later on that everyone in my life was my teacher and every stepping stone was to another and learning along the way um, towards the end there, learning to hope love myself and learning to forgive others and also to forgive myself and like I said loving the child within um but it is life I always say life is learning lessons and there are no friends and enemies they're just teachers along the way and if you pay attention to those teachers they always have something to teach you I always say my my Family was my best teachers, my, my twin sister and my brother were my best teachers because you could very easily get mad at them quicker than you would a stranger. And they knew how to push those buttons. They knew what trigger words to say. So I got in my life where I didn't react to those triggers anymore. I knew what they were. And if there was ever something that somebody said to me that, upset me, I knew it was always something within. It's never without. The wound is always within, and I learned to say, now, why did I get mad at that? 
there's something inside of me that, that's still there, and I would work with it until I found what it was that really upset me, and then I dealt with it and healed it. So I always say um, everything is within yourself. There's nothing outside of yourself. And if we do look at people's body as our teacher, it, it, it makes things easier. <laughs> well said. Well said. Well, Eliza also, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It really is. It really is. There's, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. But it's up to that person to find joy, peace, and love, and healing. It's all within yourself. And you have a choice. You know, you want to be happy or, or miserable. We have that choice. I choose to be happy. Yes, and you are. And I'm sure you are going to bring a lot of happiness and help other people um, with your book. And um, again, I, I applaud you, Eliza, for your bravery and your confidence and your um, your passion to, to do what you're doing, to help other people with, with um, a really tough subject. It's a really tough subject to tackle. So um, I thank you for being a guest on our podcast. And, um, you know, uh, if, uh, if you're up to it, uh, when that second boat comes out, I'd love to have you back. Um, what do you think the chances of that are happening? I would love to. I would, I would really love to. Whatever I can do to help others or shed some light on, on their life, um, that's just always been my heart. So I would love to come back. Great. We'll make it happen. Hey, everybody. Scott here to take another 60 seconds to talk about a sponsor I'm very excited to have to your cron, Suburban Buzz. Suburban Buzz takes the sting out of your marketing costs. Get your business buzzing with web development, graphic design, social media, digital marketing, advertising, and publishing services, all from Suburban Buzz. Visit SuburbanBuzz.com for more information. Now, the owner, Holly Shervisic, didn't ask me to read this part, I've used Holly's great services for many years. And I gotta say, when you're a small business like me and many of you, you need that excellent service. You need those quick answers and quick responses. That's what you get from Holly. That's what you get from Suburban Buzz. So check them out, suburbanbuzz.com.